Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Well, I hope right there in your home you have the Word of God with you whenever we gather, whether it be online or here in person. We got to have the Word of God in front of us. Um, that's the purpose of our study this morning is to hear God's verse, or voice in His Word. And so if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Genesis 4. Genesis 4. You know, long ago, God ordained that we would be in the book of Genesis. And um, to be honest with you this week, as I was prayerfully considering, do we detour again this week from Genesis? Part of me, a good bit of me, wanted to go to the Psalms because that's where I've been. I've just been hanging out in the Psalms. I love hearing David as he goes through struggles and, and trials find assurance in God. But you know, I really believe uh, that God has a word for us in Genesis 4. So over the coming weeks, whether we're here in person or whether or not we continue to worship online, we're just going to continue to walk through uh, the book of Genesis. And we're in Genesis 4. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Uh, but let me remind you what we've seen thus far. We've seen the glory of God in creation. He is far more holy. He is far more powerful than we can possibly comprehend. And we've seen his glory in creation and the pinnacle of his creation, the crown of his creation will be man. Man and woman made in the image of God. And he puts them in this garden with all their needs met and he gives them choice. He won't force himself upon them. And you'll remember in Genesis 3, uh, the serpent comes in, Satan comes into the story, and he deceives the man and the woman, and they disobey God, they sin, and everything is broken. Everything goes horribly wrong. But right after the fall of man, what do we see in Genesis 3.15? We see what is called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. Right after the fall of man, God promises that I'm going to send somebody. He tells them, I'm going to put enmity. There's going to be a conflict, enmity between your seed, meaning the seed of the serpent and Satan, and the seed of the woman. And he, one man, will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. There's going to be a conflict, but I'm going to send somebody, and he is going to destroy and defeat sin, Satan, and death, and he will be your means of salvation. But he's told them, until that person comes, there's going to be a conflict. We see it run throughout Scripture. And where does it all begin? Well, it begins right here in Genesis chapter 4 in these two individuals, Cain and Abel. These two sons of Adam and Eve. And these two sons, as we've already looked at previously, they, they represent two pathways. And quite honestly, everyone that's listening today, every one of us in this world, we're really on one of these two pathways. The pathway of Cain is one who's going to say, I'm going to reject God. I know that God has prescribed a certain means that we, we come to him and we know his salvation by means of trusting in the one who will come and die for our sins. But what is Cain going to say? I don't want to go that way. I want to come by my own means. I'm going to bring my own good works before God. And so he rejects God's means of salvation. And then we have Abel. And Abel is trusting in the promise of God to send somebody to die in his face. How do we place? How do we know? Uh, sacrifice. Sacrifice is the sign that God has given to them that reminds them that they're sinners and they need somebody to come and die for them. So what do we see here? We see these two pathways and every one of us are following in one of these two paths. You're here this morning and you're either trusting in your own good works for salvation 
or you're trusting in the one who would come, Jesus Christ, who dies for our sins. Powerful picture. Cain rejects God's means of salvation. What is he going to do? He's going to bring his own good works. He's going to bring his grain offering. He probably thinks, I'm going to impress God with all that I have done and all that I have produced. And what is the response of God? Is God going to be impressed? Scripture is clear. God has no regard for his offering. God is not impressed. What Cain doesn't understand is God is far more holy than he thinks he is, and Cain is far more sinful than what he understands. Listen, this is so important because all of us one day, we are going to stand before God, and the primary primary question he's going to ask us is not necessarily what church you went to, not going to ask you about the job you had, how many degrees you had, how much money you made, or how much money you even gave. You know what I think the primary question he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son Jesus who came and died for your sins? And the only response that gains you entrance into the kingdom of God is that you have placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation. It's so important for us to understand this. What do we see all the way back in Genesis 4? That there are not many ways to God. There's one way to God. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4, 12, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is not one of many ways to God. He is the only way to God. And that's not my word, that is God's word, and it has never changed all the way back to Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve. Now, obviously, our faith is more clearly delineated than theirs, and that we understand that the seed of the woman is Christ, but make no mistake about it, salvation has always been by faith in the one who would come and die in our place. And so as we pick up the story in verse 8, we're going to get an even clearer picture of an individual in Cain who is going to reject God. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to have to fabricate success apart from God. And not only are we going to see an individual who rejects God, we're going to see an entire civilization. We're going to see a city. We're going to see a culture that is going to reject God. And you know what's interesting? God's not going to immediately strike them all dead. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. They're going to advance in the arts and agriculture and technology. But they will not advance morally and spiritually. And in the end, there will be judgment. With that in mind, let's pray together. Then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we're so grateful that when it comes to knowing who you are and how we interact with you, you have not left us to our own devices You have given us your word that speaks very clearly about the way of salvation, who you are and how we interact with you. And God, I pray right now in this moment, wherever we're gathered, God, I pray you'd calm our hearts. I pray for this brief period of time, you'd you'd remove any distraction that would prevent us from hearing your voice in your word. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, look with me, Genesis 4, verse 8. It says, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. We see here, we've seen a lot of first. Now we've seen the first murder. 
Boy, this story, if you look at it, it has devolved quickly. We've gone from in Genesis chapter 2, man is walking in perfect fellowship with God and with each other. And all of a sudden you get to chapter 4 and now we got murder. And you're asking yourself, what in the world has happened? What has changed? Well, quite simply, sin has happened. We continue to see this, that this world is not as it was. This world is not as it is intended to be. That the brokenness of this world, the diseases of this world, the death of this world is a product of sin. This world is broken due to the sin of man. Man is a sinner. Man is not inherently good. Cain is just like all of us. He is born a sinner. As David said in Psalm 51, he is brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother has conceived me. And in fact, you can state it this way. Cain is a picture of all of us apart from faith in Christ. Here is an individual who is infected by sin. Anger, jealousy, selfishness, pride are controlling his life. And God has warned him, Cain, you better humble yourself. You better trust in me. You better change your ways. What is God doing? He's called him to repentance. But what has Cain done? He's rejected God. He says, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And now he has gotten his brother alone and he has killed him. You know, and the question that I had as I was studying this, what in the world causes Cain to hate Abel so much? What is it about Abel Uh, that causes Cain to hate him to the point of murder. And here's what I think. I think that Abel was a silent condemnation towards Cain. That every time Cain uh, looked at Abel and he looked at his joy and his security and his salvation by means of faith, whenever he saw this Abel who knew, he knew he's a sinner just like me, but he has security and salvation simply by means of faith. And every time he saw Abel, it was a reminder that he is a sinner and that he is accountable to God. You know, Romans 1 says that God has placed the knowledge of himself in all of us. Then I think if we're gut level honest, I think all of us know that we are Sinners. We know who God is and we know that we're sinners. And what Romans 1 says is that we suppress the knowledge of God in our life. We don't want to deal with it. We don't even want to think about it. But we have a knowledge of God. We know we're sinners and we know we're accountable. And we really don't like anybody who brings that up in our life. (laughs) You know, when you're living in sin and you're disobeying God, you don't tend to enjoy people who remind you that you are a sinner and that you're accountable to God. And so Cain, he hates Abel. This guy's a reminder to him, I'm a sinner too, and I'm accountable before God. And so he kills him. Then we see in verse 9, God comes to him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? God calls him to account just like he did. Adam and Eve, and as he calls him to account, really what's occurring here, he's trying to get Cain to confess his sin, and what is Cain's response? He lies about it. And not only does he lie about it, he's arrogant, which are really the the hallmarks of Satan's work. He says, I don't know where Abel is, and quite frankly, God, it's not my job. And when you and I are called to account for our sin, we really have one of two options. We can humble ourselves, confess our sin, and seek forgiveness. And by the way, the Bible says when we do that, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 
And it's beautiful how God has designed this. God does not expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to be honest about your sin. And if you'll confess it, he'll forgive you. So you can, if you want to, you can, you can confess your sin, you can humble yourself, you can be truthful about your sin and there's forgiveness. Or you can do what Cain did and in your pride and in your arrogance, you can reject God. In other words, God, you don't have a right to hold me accountable. Well, look at verse 10. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. God is stating to Cain, Cain, I know exactly what's occurred. Cain, you can't lie to me and you can't hide from me any more than, than your parents Adam and Eve could hide from me. You know, there's so many people out there that are hiding from God and, and they're lying about their, their spiritual condition and what they've done. And we need to be reminded that we can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. Not only does God know what Cain did, he knows his heart condition. God knows everything about Cain and God knows everything about you. He knows every evil, immoral deed you've ever done and he knows every immoral thought that's ever entered into your mind. And so Cain's trying to cover his tracks and cover his sins and God says, I know exactly what you've done and you're guilty and your, your sin demands punishment. And so look at verses 11 through 12. Now you're cursed from the ground which is opens its, its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it'll no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So God says there's going to be some consequences here. But let's, re- let's be real honest about this. What does Cain deserve? Cain deserves death and hell. That's what he deserves. He's taken innocent life. He has killed Abel for no good reason other than the fact that Abel's existence offended him. And now he has killed him. He's killed an innocent individual. And he deserves death and hell. And by the way, so do all of us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But what do we see here? God's not going to strike him dead immediately. God is going to be merciful. God will not take him out instantaneously. And by the way... This passage is not that God believes in capital punishment. There are those who say, well, God here doesn't believe in... God believes in capital punishment. We're going to see it in Genesis chapter 9. He who sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. God's going to establish government and he's going to establish capital punishment. But right here, what do we see? God is going to be merciful. God will not take him out. God will not give him what justice demands, but there will be consequences. And God says to him, in your work, there's going to be no success. It's going to be futility. You're going to work hard, but the ground's not going to produce for you. In other words, you're going to have no real sense of purpose. And then beyond that, you're going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a vagrant. You're going to have no real home and no real rest. And both of those things, when you cut yourself off from God, when you cut yourself off from the infinite reference point of God, you lose any real sense of purpose and you lose all sense of true and eternal rest and peace. Well, look at verses 13 and through 15. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I'll be hidden, and I'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, God, that's not fair. This is way too severe. And take note, there's no real remorse for his actions, no repentance. He doesn't regret his actions. He regrets the consequences of his actions. 
The heart of Cain here is, God, I want to live however I want to live, and I still want your blessings. God, I want to do whatever I want to do without consequences, and in fact, I want you to be kind to me. Isn't that the attitude of so much of our world? We want to disregard God. We want to disregard his word. We want to disregard his salvation, live however we want to live, and still expect him to bless our lives. And when he's not kind to us, what do we say? God, you're not fair. And folks, it doesn't work that way. You can't live however you want to live and expect God to bless your life. Well, look at verse 15. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. And this is amazing to me. Cain is continuing to be arrogant. He is continuing to reject God's forgiveness and God's grace. And yet God continues to be merciful. All that Cain deserves is death. But God will not do that, at least not immediately. But God will make him an example. God puts a sign on his life. We don't know exactly what that sign is. But God puts a sign on his life so that he'll be a living warning to the rest of the world that this is what happens when you reject God. And then what we see in verses 16 through 24 is we're going to see an entire civilization. So we've seen a man who rejects God. What have we seen? We've seen this guy. He hates God's word. He hates God's prescribed means of salvation. He is consumed with sin selfishness, pride, arrogance are driving his life. Anger is driving his life. He hates the people of God and he hates the judgment of God. And in the end, he has no real sense of purpose and he's got no real peace. That's a picture of man in his fallen condition. And now what do we see? We see an entire civilization coming out of this that's going to do the same thing. They're going to reject God and they're going to seek to fabricate success apart from God on their own. So look with me, verses 16 through 17. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. So how does Cain respond to the mercy of God? God says what to him? Cain, you're going to be a wanderer. And what does Cain say? Well, we'll just see about that. And so Cain now is going to seek to establish a city. Again, he's trying to fabricate success apart from God. And so he marries and he has children. And even though he has rejected God, at least to some extent, he's going to enjoy the blessings of God. This is what we call common grace. That the sun rises and falls on the wicked and the righteous. The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. So here we see him establishing a city and a marriage all apart from God, fabricating success. Then look at verses 18 through 19. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahujel, and Mahujel became the father of Methushel, and Methushel became the father of Lamech, and Lamech took to himself two wives. The name was, of one was Ada, and the name of other was Zillah. So Cain's family begins to grow here. And if you'll notice, we're going to get next week in chapter 5, these names are going to be very similar. It's, it's important to remember that these two families, are, as we're going to see next week in the family of Seth, they're going to grow up side by side. But here in Cain's family, a lot of these names have the suffix L, and that L is the name for God. And so we're, it's a good reminder. These people still have a notion of God. But it's not the, the true God. It's not the God of, of truth and righteousness and mercy. They've now made up their own deity. 
They've come up with their own God who allows them to live however they want to live. And how do we know that they've completely disregarded the truth of God's word? Well, we find out with Lamech, how many wives does he take? He takes two. And what did God say in his design for marriage? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Lamech has said, I don't care what God's design for marriage is. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. We have a complete disregard for the word of God and God's design for marriage. And not only do we have a disregard for God's design in marriage, we have a demeaning of women. Listen, when you disregard the truth of God's word and you disregard uh, the truthfulness that he, and the design that he has put forth, then you also disregard the dignity of woman as an individual that is made in the image of God. And as, as evolution goes, it has just become the, the survival of the fittest. Do you see the picture here? Man may still have some of the blessings of God in the worldly and physical things of this earth, but morally and spiritually they are declining. Then look at verses 20 through 22. And Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And as for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. So you got Jabal who advances in agricultural things, and then you've got Jubal who advances in the arts. Now you've got music with the lyre and the pipe, and then you've got Tubal came, the, the forger of implements. Now you have advances in technology. So you've got advances in agriculture, you've got advances in the arts, you've got advances in technology, and, and you would be tempted to think that in all these advances in education and arts and agriculture and, and technology, with all these advances, they're going to usher in a better day. They're going to usher in a utopia. Well, look at what happens in verses 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Here's an individual who brags about killing man for no reason and then mocks the judgment of God. He has no regard for the dignity of man. He has no regard for the justice of God that I can do whatever I want to do and God can't touch me. No fear of the judgment of God in hell. So you've got man improving in the things of the world, but morally and spiritually, he is tanking rapidly. And if you look at the story and the picture at this point, you might be tempted to think that Satan is winning. Remember, we've talked about this. This is that battle. This is that conflict that's ongoing. At this point, you say, boy, it sure looks like Satan has the upper hand. But you know what we're going to see in verse 25? That just as Satan is at work, we're going to see God at work. Folks, this is the story of Scripture when you look at it. In a few weeks, we're going to take a look back at all of this, and we're going to see how God is. Satan is at work, God's at work. Satan's at work, and God is at work. And God has made a promise. And listen, listen to me. God's plan will not be thwarted. Satan cannot stop the will of God. And so just as you've got this generation of individuals, seven generations in fact, who are declining spiritually and morally, they might be excelling in the things of the world, but they're declining. You're going to have another family grow up right beside them that we're going to look at next week in chapter 5. And you know who they are? 
They're individuals that you see in verse 26. They call upon the name of the Lord. They recognize we're sinners, and they cry out to God. And there's going to be a man named Enoch, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to walk with God. And there's going to be a man named Noah, and you know what Noah's name means? It means rest. And what does that show us? They're trusting in the promise of God to send somebody to put down sin, Satan, and death. So right here, alongside a world that's declining, you have a group of people who love God, are calling out to him, walking with him, and trusting in the promise of God, and they will be saved. Folks, could God have not given us a clear picture of our world today? I mean, can you not see in Cain and in this civilization, in the New Testament, you know what it calls this? It calls this the world. It's a world full of people who have blown off God. They have no regard for the word of God. They have no regard for Jesus and salvation. And you know what's amazing? God will not bring immediate judgment for sin. I mean, you ever thought this? You ever thought, boy, God, why don't you just strike all these people dead? Why don't you intervene in this moment and Christ return and judgment come? Why doesn't God do that? Well, the scripture's clear. God doesn't do that because he is patient. God desires none to perish but all to come to faith in Christ. How many of you listening online today are grateful that Christ didn't return in judgment five years ago? Some of you are saying, boy, if he had come back five years ago, I'd have been in big trouble. How many of you are grateful that he didn't return in judgment 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? See, God is patient, desiring none to perish. But listen, don't mistake his patience for a lack of follow-through. That just because he has not come in judgment doesn't mean that he won't come in judgment. That was the mistake that Cain and his family made. They mocked God. They mocked the word of God. They mocked the judgment of God. And God was patient. You know, I I don't know if you saw this ad air this week. I, I saw it as I was watching, I think, the debate last Sunday night. And Ron Reagan had an ad and... I can't remember about the reason of God. And then at the end of it, you know what? At the very end of the commercial said, and I'm an atheist who does not believe or does not fear the judgment of God in hell. And folks, that's a lot of the world today. We don't fear God. We have no fear of his word. And we have no fear of judgment in hell. And what they don't understand is the reason that God has not returned in judgment is because he longs for them to come to faith in Christ. And so you got a world out there disregarding God, and God is patient. You know what's happening? you got this world, and just like Cain's day, they got married, but they wouldn't acknowledge God. They had kids, but they never acknowledged God. They'd enjoyed the finer things of life, agriculture and food and arts and music and technology, but they never gave thanks to God. They warmed themselves under the bright light of the sun that God had created, and yet they wouldn't worship God. Their hearts were beating by the grace of God, and yet they wouldn't turn to Christ and trust in him for salvation. And guess what? A flood was coming. And all these people, when that flood came, guess what? At that moment, they wanted on the ark of God's salvation. But it was too late. And alongside this group, there's another group of people 
and they might be weak according to the things of this world, but they're clinging to the promise that God will save us in the end. I cannot help but think that in Cain's life and in the life of his family, there were certain moments when God tried to get their attention. Isn't this what God does in our life? At certain moments, he kind of shakes us and he seeks to get, his, get our attention. Some of you have came, you came to faith in Christ because you were in one of those moments where God came to you, maybe in a trial, maybe in some storm in your life, and he got your attention. And you came to the recognition that you were a sinner and you turned to him and you trust, trusted in him as your only means of salvation. You know, some people come to faith in God. They're just overwhelmed by the love of God. They see the gospel and they run to him. Other people have to get into a storm. And they come to the realization that they're a sinner and they're turned to to Christ. You know, as I've prayed about what's going on in our world today, I want to tell you, I I don't pretend to know the mind of God and I, I don't pretend to know exactly what God is doing. But I do believe with all my heart, I do believe with all my heart, God is using these circumstances to a world that has spurned him, to a world that has rejected him, and he is seeking to get their attention. And I don't know about you, but he's got my attention. You know, it's so sad when I think about my own life. The blessings of God rarely draw me closer to God. It's in the trials and the storms that God gets our attention and draws us back to himself. And in those moments of brokenness and despair, do you know what God does? Just as we looked at last week with Peter who began to sink, he doesn't get on to us. This is not a God who's looking for ways to punish us. But in moments of despair and brokenness, when we return to him, do you know what he does? He wraps his arms of love around us. And he may not immediately fix the situation as we saw last week. But do you know what he does? He says, I'm with you. And it's okay. I'm going to lead you through this. And one day, you'll be with me forever. Some of you this morning, you're watching online and... You've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you've heard the gospel from time to time, but you've never really given it much thought. Maybe because you've thought, well, why would I need Jesus? I got a pretty good life. I want you to understand this morning. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. I don't want to pull the old bait and switch. Christ didn't come to give you a bigger bank account. Christ didn't come so he could fix your physical health. Christ came, lived, and died on a cross because you're a sinner. And you deserve death and hell. But despite all you'd ever done, he still loved you. You're made in his image, and he desires a relationship with you. Christ came because he loves you, and he wants you to restore a fellowship with him and know that no matter what happens, you'll be with him in heaven one day. And if you've never trusted in Christ... And maybe God has got your attention in the midst of this storm. Can I challenge you? Turn in repentance and trust Jesus. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But many others are watching online this morning and you know Christ. 
But quite honestly, if we were to get gut level honest, we've put God on the back burner. We've enjoyed God's blessings and it's made us complacent. If we're real honest with ourselves, maybe we'd say, I really don't even have a prayer life. I go through my day and I rarely ever acknowledge God. I may come to church on Sundays and open my Bible for 30 minutes, but I rarely open it throughout the week. And there's sin in my life. And you would say today, if Christ returned right now, you would be ashamed of where you're living. Can I tell you, I truly believe that in the storms of life, they are often God's tender mercies by which he grabs our attention and gently whispers to us, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. The stuff of this world will never satisfy. It may give you temporary and fleeting moments of happiness and some measure of fabricated success. But there's only one who truly satisfies. And there's only one who truly saves. And his name is Jesus. This world's broken, folks. If we can't see this now, we never will. This world is broken by sin. The Bible, you know, when it talks about the world and this earth, it's pretty pessimistic. The Bible tells us this world's coming down. It began a slow downward spiral after the fall of man. And one day the whole deal's coming down. You know, in Noah's day, there was this world doing whatever they wanted to do. You know what Noah was preaching? Flood's coming. God was reminding them. Judgment's coming. You better get on board on the ark if you want to live through to the other side. Do you know what we're doing as the people of God? We're telling you today, I don't know when it's coming, but I know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. But just because God has not come, don't, don't think he's not coming. And I'm telling you, you better get on board with Jesus if you want to live through to the other side. He is our only hope, and he is our greatest joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in your word, you have made the way of salvation so clear all the way back to Genesis 3. One breath after the fall of man, you had already declared there's a way of salvation, and it comes in the form of an individual who, come, who will come and, and die for our sins. We know that person to be Jesus. God, I pray if there's anybody that's listening this morning that thinks that somehow they're going to impress you with their good works. They're following the path of Cain, thinking one day I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to recount all my righteous deeds. And they're, they're, they're banking on the hope that somehow you're going to be impressed with their own righteousness. God, I pray that they would be reminded in Cain that even our best works is like filthy rags in comparison to your holiness. But the good news is you saw us in your sin 
in our sin and, and, and you made a way of salvation through your son Jesus who has come. I pray today they would humble themselves. They wouldn't follow in the path of Cain and in their pride and their arrogance reject your forgiveness. I pray today they would humble themselves. They would admit they're a sinner and they would trust in Jesus as the only hope of salvation. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would commit ourselves again to you this morning. Wherever we may have been, no matter where we, we, we've gone, no matter what we've done, you're a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I pray that we'd commit ourselves to trusting in you with all of our heart. We would commit ourselves to walking according to your word, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what happens in this world. God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to you and to your word, knowing, knowing with all our heart that by faith in your son Jesus, we will be saved. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning, just as we always do, to respond to God. Maybe you know you need Jesus. And maybe you have questions. You would say, there's still a lot of questions I have. Well, we have a text to decision line. Um, So if you're watching online, you should see the number on your screen. All you have to do is text DECISION to 428 Text DECISION to 42828, and there will be a pastor who will contact you and connect with you about what it means to know Christ. Maybe you just need to pray in your living room. Maybe you as your family right now want to get on your knees and commit yourselves to following God's way. Not in the path of Cain, but in the path of Abel, And as we'll see next week, the path of Seth, trusting in God, walking with God, knowing that we, by faith in Christ, will be saved. As we sing together, you respond. Know this, you will never regret obeying Jesus. You respond as we sing.